0: Hi, this is Tina Powell, host of In The Suite, where I sit down with top women leaders and some of the biggest names in the financial services and the wealth management industry. Together, we'll discover some of their best secrets and top strategies to grow great business, build a strong brand, and lead teams in the 21st century. I hope you'll enjoy hearing their amazing personal stories of triumph, trepidation, and transformation in hopes of becoming better leaders ourselves. The time for you to lead is now, and you're in the sweep. The name Mary Beth Storjahan is synonymous with workable wealth and making her passion to educate and empower women around money, an entire life philosophy. As founder of Workable Wealth, a platform that provides financial education and empowerment to those in their 20s to 50s, no doubt you've seen her articles and blogs or in person and virtual speaking and lecturing all around the country you will most certainly recognize the name Mary Beth Storjahan as host of the Work Your Wealth podcast, now over 110 episodes and counting as of this recording. It's highly likely, too, that you have seen and read Mary Beth's book, Work Your Wealth, Nine Steps to Making Smarter Decisions with Your Money as Part of Your Own Financial Empowerment Journey. But as I discovered in the suite with Mary Beth, there is much more to the story. Mary Beth Storjahan serves as the Chief Marketing Officer at Abacus Wealth Partners, a fee-only independent firm that is a change maker in the financial planning world with a focus on diversity and inclusion, impact and socially responsible investing and in making financial planning accessible. Mary Beth makes frequent appearances on NBC as a financial expert and has been featured in major media outlets such as the Wall Street Journal, Glamour, NPR, Women's Health, Cosmopolitan, CNBC, Forbes, US News and World's Report, and more. Her accolades include the top 40 under 40 by Investment News, 10 Young Advisors to Watch by Financial Advisor Magazine, and 10 of the best personal financial experts to follow on Twitter. Absolutely. And as a military spouse until her husband Brian transitioned out of the U.S. Navy as an officer, Mary Beth has a huge heart and spends her time volunteering to educate the troops and most importantly, being a wife and mother to two adorable children. Mary Beth is a member of NAPFA, the XY Planning Network, and the San Diego Financial Advisors Network. And as you'll hear during this discussion in the suite, Mary Beth Sorjahan's firm, Atticus Wealth Partners, and their president, J.D. Bruce, have managed to take diversity and inclusion to a whole new level with 50% equal representation of female and male executive leadership. Naturally, I asked her to explain how that was possible. But what I came away with understanding about Mary Beth is that she won't back down from a challenge and that she's wired for impact and serving and connecting others. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll enjoy this episode. So this is wonderful. Mary Beth Storjahan. I am so excited that you're here. Welcome to In The Suite. It is a beautiful day here in May. I'm really, really excited to have you on. I know that we've coordinated a bunch and I also know that your husband's an essential worker and that you've got two little kids and you're chief marketing officer of Abacus Wealth Partners on top of that. So welcome to the broadcast. It's great to have you. How are you during this pandemic?
1: I'm doing great. I'm hanging in there like everybody else. Thank you for having me, Tina. we're doing we're doing good for uh, we live in a loud, chaotic house right now, so there may be screaming children who join us for uh, you know, in the background, but otherwise we're doing good. good.
0: I, I love screaming children because mine are grown and I don't yeah, have yet, and I'm kind of in between that grandparent stage. Nobody's even married yet, but I, I know that I'll get there. So whether or not that you've known Mary Beth, you've inspired me. I've long followed your career. You were ahead of the whole branding curve and a whole marketing curve. Before that, now I feel that more people are paying more and more attention to it. And I know that you also have your own podcast. So this is really going to be an exciting conversation from the perspective of marketing, branding, having your own business, positioning your business actually for for or for not for sale. But another way that you've been in a model for me is I know that Abacus Wealth, being with coronavirus and COVID-19, There's so many different pieces of information that uh, people need right now. And I was really impressed that you've built a COVID-19 resources page. And I actually used that or (laughs) loosely borrowed it as an example for one of my clients. He's in healthcare consulting and saying, look, isn't this a great model at how this is all assembled together? So how did you come up with it? I think it's a, a great place to begin the conversation. And if you would also too, just let our listeners know what resources they can expect on the page?
1: Sure. So we have a COVID-19 resources page. It's abacus.com backslash COVID-help or backslash covid it really started at first as advocates advocates in general. We were very focused on self-care, on mindfulness, creating a sense of ease around your money. And so what it really started was with a way of us wanting to share the tools that we were using as a team and as a firm to practice our own self-care. So we started with just a few posts. One of our advisors created a post for actually internally for all of our advisors on how to homeschool their children because she'd been homeschooling for years. And so she wrote a whole, I mean, a whole post that was just shared internally that she was just giving her expertise and we thought, oh my gosh, this should be an external facing blog post. And then I created a post around, I actually went through and created a Google form. I I pulled all of our team and asked what they were doing, their number one thing they were doing for self-care. And so we took that and we turned that into a post too, of like, what are we doing? How are we communicating? How are we connecting? And then we actually had some meditations that one of our co-founders had created, focusing on money stories and different things. So it really started off in the beginning as compiling resources around self-care. And we also were sending out content to our clients around the market swings, the volatility, remaining calm, addressing questions about, well, is is this time different? And so from there we started. We basically started building it. And so what we have now, I mean, we've been compiling this, these lists for over a month now. And so now it's actually turned into different sections. So you have on the web, on the web page, you have how you so. And we really want to focus on how you can help because we recognize that that people need help there, during this time. But there's also those of us who are fortunate enough and want to be able to give help, and we don't know where to start. So the page in general starts how you can can help. There's a section for giving to charities. Uh, so where areas that you can donate your money to that can go directly to impacting this cause. There's also a, a how you can help volunteer and job opportunities section. And then there's just a how you can get help section. And from there, it's answering questions on the CARES Act. We've broken down resources for small business owners. We have mentioned our pro bono services that we do at Abacus. And then below that, we have resources for emotional well-being and then resources for financial education. So basically, we've begun to build this out. And we have our CEO is involved, our, our executives are involved, and our advisors. Are, everybody's sending in resources on, a, on an almost daily basis, like, hey, can you add this to the list? And so we really compiled a really comprehensive list that has been great for our clients, for our readers, and even for our advisors to leverage and be able to share with their COIs and their networks as well.
0: Yeah. And I think that you're a perfect person to do it. I should mention that Mary Beth is a CFP and I love the way that you've even vetted the nonprofits because one of the first things that comes out, all of a sudden, all of these donation places start to pop up and 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 send your money here and donate over there. So I feel that when I go to the site, that it's been not only organized succinctly into these buckets, but that you've also too done the due diligence to actually get me half the way there that it's not causing me stress if I want to donate or not exactly yeah we've done a lot of behind
1: the scenes work as well in reaching out to our sources we're not in the nonprofit world in the impact space and engaging and vetting out some of these places
0: yeah so talk to us what are some of the best strategies I'll, I'll speak for myself it's it's hard it's it's difficult sleeping at night the ability to concentrate and focus has come back, but what are the top strategies as a result of you going in and speaking to other professionals and other people at Abacus? Again, you're all involved. What's been rising to the top that we can all take away from that section of your website?
1: You know, there's a, there's a, a variety of things, but right? I will say that the main focus, is this idea of mindfulness and, and kind of just slowing down, giving yourself a little bit of grace. And and the big things that come up for us at Abacus are, are writing. So either a, a gratitude practice, journaling, getting your feelings out on paper, getting outside. And I can say this for me for me personally, we, we're lucky enough we have a backyard, but there's days uh, on end actually that I, I've worked from home and I, and I have for a while, but now that everybody's home, there's days where I have, I mean, there's weeks I haven't left the house. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't even gone into the backyard and, and there was a day on Friday where... My husband took the kids for the walk, and I actually sat in the backyard, and it was it was blissful. So I think getting outside, nature journaling, and this this idea of serving others as well. So whether it's you know purging your donor advised fund, there's a lot of talk about that right now. I'm um, giving back financially if you can, giving back of your time, helping your neighbor, offering to have groceries delivered for others, taking that focus off of us and being able to care for others during this time. Even if you're even as as you know, I'm somebody also bogged down. We have kids, we're juggling it all, but finding little ways to look for the small businesses that we want to support and and buying gift cards or doing some charitable donations, those things feel good. And, and it's honestly, it's, it's, it's up and down. It's recognizing there's good days and bad days. Sometimes you're going to lock yourself in the closet and cry for five minutes. And other days you're going to go bake a loaf of sourdough bread. And, but those are, and it's, it's letting yourself feel the feelings shutting out what everybody thinks that we should be doing this time and just recognizing that you have to do what's best for you. And one of the things I wrote down over the weekend will future me be annoyed that I said yes to this? If yes, say no. So yeah, so that's one of the things too. A lot of people are hustling during this time and getting even more exhausted, more than one topic area. But those are some of the things that I think are coming up. And for abacus in general, there's lots of just talk about connecting with others and getting outside, getting your body moving and, and getting your thoughts down on paper.
0: Yeah, I think that's really good advice it's not one thing it's not one practice but it's a yeah. bunch of practices layered on here's my five minute journal it yes. literally wrote in it today that i it's hope a, that we have a great podcast a journal. <laughs> exactly right and i'll take a walk later i haven't been outside it's been uh mondays are our, our crazy day but i like the idea of also to recognizing that not every day is going to be a good day and that even if you're practicing these principles it's just only human to to go through what we're going through right now and to to do the ups and downs. Do you manage? You have mentioned that you've been working at home for a while. I kind of want to get into that because most people who know Marybeth, Georgia, Han, also know you not only from Abacus Wealth Partners, but let's rewind Workable Wealth, and you do have a podcast, Workable Wealth. So, kind of walk us through the how both of those entities have now combined a little bit of the backstory and where we are today. I just run five businesses. No, I'm just kidding. So uh, yeah, but,
1: no, I, I so I launched Workable Wealth as a virtual financial planning firm in August of 2013. So I had spent a decade in the industry already. My husband was on deployment, floating on a navy ship uh, somewhere in the Middle East, and we decided I would launch my own firm. So I launched August of 2013, and I launched a virtual. So I've worked from home. I worked remotely the whole time. I built the firm, and in February, 2016, I wrote a book. I wrote my first book called Work Your Wealth is the name of the book. And then I launched the podcast. Also, it's Work Your Wealth is the name of the, of the podcast as well. I launched that in February of 2017, so a year later. And built the company up, built the built my firm up, clients all over the country. That's the benefit of working remotely. And, and then I merged in with Abacus Wealth Partners in February of 2019, March 1st, February, 2019. So it's been just over a year that I've been a chief marketing officer with, with them. And and all of these dynamics, the Workable Wealth website and the Work Your Wealth podcast, those are things that continue to play in the background as part of the, the branding. There's leads that come from the website. Workable Wealth is basically the messaging there that we're still working on. It is a financial education platform now because there's a lot of SEO there. There's a lot of content that is geared towards a very specific audience and leads come in through that website as well. So that now the, those leads funnel over to Abacus and then the podcast also stays. Everything that I do from the Workable Wealth and the Work Your Wealth standpoint have always been passion projects of mine. I'm very passionate about educating women around their finances and empowering them. And so part of this merger with Abacus was that those things stayed as an option for me to be able to continue with my as a creative outlet and space that I could, I could operate kind of on my own and my own play space.
0: Well, there's no doubt that anybody that listens to your podcast and my favorite episode is episode 88, where your husband actually, Brian turns the table on you. You're a great speaker on On the podcast, especially, and I know that you've had it now for a couple of years.' one of the first people to really to go deep into new media and and positioning. And why don't you tell us a little bit about that that episode in particular? Because I have to imagine, that here you have Workable Wealth, you have the book, you have the podcast, clearly you understand, you understand finances, you understand women, you understand marketing. So you're like a machine, Mary Beth. What was the why behind actually bringing them all together right now? In 2008,
1: so, so on the podcast, the podcast that you're speaking of, there's been a few podcasts uh, I have over 100 episodes now, and there's been a few where Brian has has joined me. Either we've talked together about how we handle things, but this was the first one I think he's actually interviewed me on. And well, I mean, yeah. when we do podcasts together, I make him sit in a separate room, even though we're in the house <laughs> together, he can't sit next to me. So That's a fun fun fact. But this one, I wanted to really be able to dive into the story, and I thought no better person to interview me than the one who kind of sat next to me the whole time. And, and this was really a joint decision. What was going on? So we have we have two small children. I had I had our second child, Luke in 2017 and then 2018 all of the marketing everything that i've been doing the brand that i was building it, and it was all working before it was a pretty well oiled machine as i ran a financial planning department before i launched work of a wealth and then you layer on the marketing on top of it so it was pretty pretty process oriented what i do and 2018 it basically took off. Like it took off. I was also, I had a newborn and I was growing and I was beginning to get faced with this decision of what are the things that bring me joy in life? What are the things that I am incredibly passionate about and how do I want to pursue those things? And what are the things that don't, that I don't enjoy as much? And so when it came to figuring that out, it was I was, I was getting a little burnt out and it was around August. And, and so the, the tie that I've had to Abacus Wealth Partners the whole time was that uh, J.D. Bruce, Abacus Wealth Partners president, had been mentoring a group that I'm in for about 18 months. And it was funny because the group that I was in was like JD wants you for Abacus, and I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and uh, this whole thing started actually because I was I was in Santa Monica for an event with Dimensional Fund Advisors, and I happened to be in the Abacus office, and it was just on a particularly like, tiresome day. <laughs> and I was sitting in the lobby with an, with another friend of mine, having a glass of wine before we went over to Dimensional. So, t- and I looked at JD and I'm like, just buy my firm already. <laughs> I was kidding, you know. And he um, can't see me right now, but he put his hands together and like rubbed them together, like. Uh, and so,
0: um,
1: and, and we had never really talked about it, but for, for me, and I don't know if I've talked about this on the website or on the podcast either, but for me, the biggest thing was when he did that, I, I rode the, I rode the train home from LA to San Diego the next day. And I was sitting on the train and I was thinking, what would I advise any of my clients to do in a situation like this?
0: Right. And, and,
1: and I would advise, I would always advise. And I always, I always treat myself like if I was a client of mine, what would I do? I would find out what I have in my back pocket. What are the options that are available to you? You always want to know what your options are. Whether even I could be super happy, you still want to know what the options are available to you. And so what happened was, I started a conversation with JD. It was originally about me merging in just as a partner, coming in partner. There was no executive position. It wasn't even on the table or even a a point of discussion at that point in time. And I, after a few months, decided that it wasn't right for me. And and at the time, and I had and I. Ended up saying, and, and my marketing is very different than yours. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely, I said, your are marketing, you know, like we can't do it, I can't be <laughs> something along those lines. And then he said, well, would you want to be chief marketing officer? And I said, oh, and that was the game changer right there, because yeah. that gave me a completely different level. Uh, it brought me to a different level in the, in advocacy, and it also gave me access to a different audience in, in a different way to be able to create that impact. So not only would I be merging in to continue growing my own book, instead, I'm actually now merging in my passion and impact that I want to have on women. I'm teaching other advisors how to build their own brands and do their marketing and impacting their clients' lives as well. So you're taking what I do as an individual and running my firm, or I can come in and mentor and advise also 20 something other advisors and have that kind of reach and multiply it. And I had to do a lot of digging because my face is attached to Workable Wealth, right? It's all like my face, mm-hmm. the website, everything. Then we did life planning. We, we brought in another advisor who who um, took me through George Kinder's life planning, some questions. And it just came down to really, you know, where do you want to spend your time? What's your focus? And it, and it came back to wanting to educate and empower women around their money. But did it have to be like me being in control of all of it? And it, and and that was really it. And at some point in time, I realized that I could have a much bigger impact going this way. Then if I try to stay on my own, I'm going to have to put my work on hold because I'm going to have to build up operations and infrastructure for workable wealth. And I need to be this, the CEO and do these other things for an RIA. There's compliance, there's investment. There was a lot of levels of things that didn't really excite me as much as the financial planning and the marketing and the messaging and the speaking. I know what lights me up, but I know the other things are like, Ooh, <laughs> so that was through life planning. And a lot of conversations with Brian about how this could impact or change our lives. We decided that I would, I would merge.
0: That was great information. A lot of things there, Mary Beth, that I want to unpack and just talk a little bit more about. Uh, Number one is is J.D. Bruce. There are extraordinary people in this industry, particularly male mentors. And J.D. and I have served on TD Ameritrade's uh, advisor panel and then presidential panel. And what impressed me about him was his his giving nature to really want to give back to this industry. He championed the T3 advisor student competition. He's always looking for a way to integrate, to give back, to bring lots of different people from all walks of life. He himself is a CPA and a computer science major. He's Absolutely incredible. You've got the the finance and you've got the technology all together. It's not just one skill set, but it's an array of skills and understanding money, technology, wealth, branding, marketing. I mean, marketing is probably one of the complex because you have to understand everything and know how to talk the know how to walk the talk and talk the walk. So he's just been extraordinary. I wanna give a, a big shout out to him. If any female needs some sort of help um, if you call jd bruce and you didn't know him he's the type of person that would pick up the phone and just genuinely help and he's done a lot of stuff for next gen so so that's one uh, and, the Link first and then he'll pick up the phone just use use mary beth's name The other interesting part, and and the reason why I focused on that particular podcast was the fact that number one, that you were intentional about your decision, but number two, that you worked with your spouse. And I think that especially your generation, you're millennial, I am a Gen Xer. And there are things that in the millennial generation that I look at and and I really value. And I think that they've rubbed off on my generation too. And that uh, this whole area of being mindful and being intentional about your decisions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah, including Brian has been something I'm incredibly, I've been passionate about since day one, uh, especially in in all in a lot of the business decisions and being the financial planner, it's very easy to default to, okay, I make all the calls. But for that, the way, especially as my business grew, I would we would sit down together and decide what to do with extra money or how to do things because I always equated it if I had made decisions on reinvesting money back into my business or or taking it out that would be that would basically equate to him taking a bonus and sending it however he wants to without telling me so that was the biggest thing for me the messaging I always try to get back to clients as well is when you have a business you want to incorporate your spouse in some of the financial decisions as well because they're taking on the risk with you of that business and they should be they should be included and if you're reinvesting it you know it should still be a household decision, if it's part of the strategy, just so they understand what the risk and rewards are.
0: So I know a lot of women do listening to this podcast share our mission. And we fundamentally want to change the outcomes for women. And there are lots of different ways to to do that, as you just talked about, you had a practice, and and my feeling is that now that you're chief marketing officer and you still have workable wealth and you are now training other advisors, that you've introduced the scalability component and you seem very adept at creating systems, procedures, operations. And so it's one way to scale that that passion. But where does it come from, Mary Beth? Where does that that come from? Why the focus on women and wanting to do so much good in the world and educate and help their outcomes? Where is that coming from?
1: I grew up in a family. I'm full Italian. So I like to say my family spoke loudly about money as I was growing up. (laughs) My parents were... And are very hardworking, so incredibly hardworking. My dad held multiple jobs to you know, provide for us, but there was just never enough. There was lots of, of conversations about not having enough, lots of fights about not having enough money. It was very paycheck to paycheck. And I had I had a job from the time I was fifteen, and so I knew early on the stress that money can cause. I saw it, I was exposed to it, I felt it, and and I didn't really know what that was about or created in me until until I got to college. And so when it came time for college, I had to pay my own way through school. And so I got a job because that's, I had a job already so I, I worked. And it's my sophomore year of college that I, I got a job in a financial planning firm as a receptionist. I was applying just for office jobs. And and it was there. I had been kind of bouncing around majors, wanted to do international business, but then realized I couldn't afford to you know study abroad in Italy because I didn't have the money. So I got a job as a financial planning as a receptionist. And it, and it was kind of there that I saw that you can actually control money. You can control money instead of it controlling you. So I was sitting you know, front and center in this office. I saw clients coming in with their stress and anxiety they'd meet with these advisors and then I saw them I saw them leave with like this piece so yeah. I began to see the Relationships they were developing with these clients and the uh, sense of peace and ease these clients were creating were, were getting when they had a plan around their money and somebody was helping to guide them with these decisions. And so it was actually there. It was at that point in time that I, I switched my major to financial planning and it was just being exposed. It was not straight retirement planning. So it was working with like an older generation. I was younger, but I was seeing the impact that it had on these people's lives. And then from there, I just, I became passionate about this topic, but I was also a young woman in the industry. As a young women in the industry, it was I was expo- you know I, I, sexism, like ageism, like you. you yeah, I was everybody's secretary, but I was one of the youngest CFPs in the country at the time when I when I got my CFP because I had I had the industry experience because I was working while I was in college getting the, the the degree. But so there was a point when I was disenfranchised with the industry as well, because of all of the the stigma that comes along with being a young young woman in the industry. It was probably, it was about probably seven to eight years in, I started a blog under an alias. Like I I started like a a financial blogging became, was like this thing I discovered. And so I started this blog and it was called um, no longer there, but it's called fabulous and financially savvy.
0: I, I love just it. started writing.
1: I started <laughs> writing for like my for my friends, um, and I was yeah. kind of quirky and fun. And I wrote for the FPA blog a few times, and I started to kind of build a portfolio of writing. And then it was, um, I moved from LA to San Diego when I met my husband, and and it just. I always came back to like I got excited when I was writing for like my peers and when I was talking to my peers and 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 that's kind of where the passion began. Like, I just like realized something lit me up when I was inspiring action from my own generation or from like my cohort of people. When I could give them ideas and tips on how to negotiate raises with their employers or help them set up their four hundred one k, those were the things that really lit me up, and I felt connected because I realized. For me, I was so sort disenfranchised of with the industry because it was very sales focused. Like I was a twenty-something-year-old woman trying to work with million-dollar clients, and not to say—I mean, lots of people do it, and we can and you can do it. And I, and I do it now. And yeah. Now, but I was very intimidated at the time as well. The way that I was being told to go, there was no easing into it that was happening. I didn't have a good training program. So for me, I felt comfortable and excited when I was working with my peers, and and then Workable Wealth started, and Workable Wealth was geared towards Gen Y millennials, and. And then it was a challenge because everybody said you can't do it. Millennials don't want advice, and this audience, you know, doesn't need it. And well
0: prove them wrong. <laughs> Nothing could be further <laughs> from the truth. Yeah. And that's one of the things that attracted me towards you on Twitter. And we're, we're going back years ago. There's a freshness and a vitality to your brand, to your personal brand and everything that you stand for. And what I love is that you talked about it and you still talk about it with such enthusiasm and real heartfelt passion. And yeah, I give you a lot of credit for being young and having to go through what you went through. And first of all, just even the CFP exam, I want to tell you all who are listening to this right now, this is, for lack of a better word, this is a very, this is a hard, hard exam. The rigor that goes into just studying for the exam on top of having a full-time job, so anybody that you meet, if you are going to speak to a financial advisor, you do want Want to speak to CFP? They should have the marks after their name in the same way that Mary Beth just go to Mary Beth Georgehan, and you can see it at Abacus Partners, and you can find her on LinkedIn, and you could also too find her on Twitter. Really, really important because it is a designation that is a separator in in our industry. And I, I have to say that another thing that your generation has done is that you have championed this whole movement of the next gen planning effort. So perhaps maybe you should even speak a little bit about uh, XY planning. Give a a little shout out to uh, Michael Kitsis and Alan Moore because it's a movement. It's a movement that's happening right now. And it's even people like me who are a generation above who have embraced what's going on in the movement and, and welcoming it to it because you've given the professional new life. Yep. So uh, fun fact, Alan Moore actually came up with the idea for XY Planning Network on my living
1: room floor. Um, oh so, <laughs> uh, we were, yeah, we were in a mastermind together we were in, a, in my condo uh, doing a, a mastermind retreat. But yeah, XY Planning Network is a phenomenal organization that basically it grew out of this need. Younger advisors wanted to serve their peers and do it in a way that you know they don't have the assets to invest at this point in time. And so uh, it's people refer to it as the monthly retainer model. I have marketing. I'm like it is. An Annual retainer that is paid monthly, though. (laughs) It is not a monthly retainer. Annual retainer, they just pay you monthly. And it basically is this organization that brings you together if you're, if you, to. Streamline and leverage each other in launching your financial planning firm. So there's the way, basically, from zero to one hundred, they'll get you launched. They have the compliance, they have the framework, the infrastructure. So you pay for that, and they also leverage like a tech stack. They give you resources and tools for education. So it's basically a bringing together of, of planners around the country, and it's actually prompted a lot of a lot of planners to leave their own leave their firms behind, like the, the existing firms are at, and launch out on their own to serve the audience that they are passionate about serving. And actually Planning Network has done a ton of media and, and just like lifting up of this cohort. And I, I mean, I, I credit them to a lot. Alan and Michael have done a ton of work and I'm, I'm very grateful to what they've done for the industry, but this didn't exist when I started in the industry. It was, I mean, this was not an option. And the only option that I had was, was, I mean, I built my own, I climbed the career ladder, but this was unheard of at the time. So that's the benefit too, is I was one of the early ones that launched for working with millennials and, and launching virtually, and now there's thousands of planners all around the country who've done it. And it's, you know, not even, it's seven years later, I think well, XY launched in what, five or six years ago. So
0: yeah, yeah. One of our clients is uh, an XY Planning Network, and, and you just described exactly what happened. He wants his own firm. And it's been literally uh, you know almost turnkey for him, which is great because then he can concentrate and who knew that coronavirus was going to break out. His time right now is leveraged that he's spending his time on the phone, on Zoom calls, and really calming people down. And there, that's where I think the value of an advisor is anyway, that you should be spending time on their relationship and the systems are hard enough let somebody else to help you kind of configure it. They've all got to work with one another. They've all got to be harmonized and integrated. Let somebody else kind of work through the kinks and then just leverage the framework. Yep. I think that's best ways that, that you can get started. What about going back to Abacus and this whole notion that when you started in the industry that you were one of the few females, but yet when I go to Abacus, somehow you have managed to... To flip the equation. And in terms of female representation, it's really, really exciting to see what Abacus is doing. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So I have some of the numbers actually up in front of me right now. So I'll just go through those. So for our staff, we have 23 male, 39 female. For advisors, we have 19 male advisors, 21 female advisors. CFPs, we have 13 male CFPs and 17 CFPs. And for partners, we just hit 50-50. So we have 11 male, 11 females. So I mean, that was a huge win that happened just this year. Or so we're 50-50 now for partnership. And I mean, that's huge. It's kind of unheard of in a lot of places in the industry. And that was one of the things that really attracted me to Abacus and their cult, and just their culture in general. But it did come time to, to make this decision to merge. I couldn't imagine having done this with any other type of firm. We're very intentional about our hires, about our efforts, our messaging, the culture in general, the, even the fact that we have you know the, the 50-50 women and the focus we have on women. I always call it and I I'm still like I'm not saying it as much now because we just we did our website and everything but I call it secret abacus like nobody knows like it's really there's like they're actually like a change maker in the industry but nobody else really knows like JD like we know JD you and I know JD and JD talks to the industry yeah. but like in general the world and other people don't really know even people at abacus don't know what JD talks about at the industry stuff i'm there now and i'm like no jd's out there representing you know and talking and share but nobody knows so but for us and, and just from our leadership perspective we have a women in money initiative we have a diversity and inclusion initiative so we're very focused on these things we're doing research we're educating I just actually talked to somebody on our dni committee just before this call and really about like the, the tagline is awake awakening our cultural consciousness so there's lots of focus um on these things and it's it's really interesting and but i mean it's it's women lifting up women. I mean, they're amazing. They're inspiring and they're helping their communities. They're hosting circles for clients, like women's circles and bringing clients together for intimate conversations. They're making changes, working with foundations. It's, it's really inspiring to be in a company and to see the, um, the level of reach that, that these advisors have.
0: Yeah, I mean, how has Abacus, what's been the secret sauce to new talent acquisition, to finding the right women who are the right culture fit? And what about women like me over 40? One of the things that I liked about Abacus is that I do find women at all different stages of life because financial planning is a relationship-oriented discussion and business. So where are you finding these women or are they finding you? How are you attracting them?
1: So, I mean, baseline,
0: there's the... the Next gen type
1: stuff that we talk about um, that JD just did. But there's also, I mean, our M&A, our mergers and acquisitions is, is one focus for that. And then we also have a lot of second careers. We have a lot of second careers. We have a lot of, we have some stay at home moms who wanted to, to ease back into the workforce and they came back part time and now they're going to full time because their kids are older. We have a retired school principal as an advisor. We have breadwinning women who uh whose husbands stay home to raise the children so it's i mean we have a, a spectrum of advisors but you know it's, a, it's sometimes it's from our existing like leadership and team it's from like their circles of like who they know in their community and they're seeing people and it's from and they're eyeballing and they're like hey like our retired school principal i know one of our co-founders was like it, she was the principal of of his children's school and he was just like hey you'd be a great and she was like nope nope. no. And no. you know, I, I have only heard bits and pieces of the story, but I know it took some convincing and here she is. And she's one of our best advisors as well. It's having an eye for talent and being completely open-minded right? It's just looking for more of that cultural personality fit than it is like what's on paper too. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing is, is seeing the, the experience that these, these people have. We have somebody who used to be a a, a management consultant who now is a financial planner as well. So there's the age factor. Is not really, I mean, I think we almost like lean towards like, we'll take the, take 40 and over. We'll, we'll go like, we, we lean that way before, like we hire young, we hire new people. Typically. I think we have in this last cohort, we had, we hired some younger ones out of, out of MBA school, but we have cohorts because we do training programs. We have an associate advisor program just to, from existing career, career changers just come, come in. It's not, I don't know. I think it's mostly it's from networking different areas, but all of our advisors have their eyes like open for potential fits for advocates i think that's just part of it because we everybody there just enjoys the people they work with everybody very much likes each other and so when you find somebody you connect with and like i think that that's you know you want them to meet other people and they get pulled in and then we do recruiting on college campuses and other areas you know next gen and and different things as well but but m&a would be the other one mergers and acquisitions would be the other for for women all different walks
0: What would be your advice to the company now that wants to start to be consciously diverse as a chief marketing officer, but also too as an advisor? What's that next move that they need to make in order to adjust their culture and their environments to include more women at all different levels and maybe even attract that second level career person?
1: I think, um, so beyond, you don't want to just go make a hire to make a hire. That's, um, you want to make sure that it's like an intentional part of your plan and your goals for your organization. And you also want to make sure that you are prepared to bring that person in and that your culture, your culture is welcoming to them, right? You can't just go make the hire to make the hire that your culture doesn't adjust because then you're not prepared to keep them there and to make sure they're a fit or to, to help them to excel in that position. The biggest thing I would say is if you're, if you're wanting to go in that direction, it, I just was talking to our, um, DNI person about this is really almost making like a mini business plan, like setting some goals and metrics for yourself around this. So if you want to make one hire, two hires, whatever it is, if you're looking to become more diverse, there's there's, there's that aspect, but there's also widening the lens. So when you're looking, because we can we can only hire so many people, also right? If you're a small business or right. small business, you can make one to two hires a year, maybe 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 more depending. I encourage companies and advisors to widen their lens to the impact they can make. How can you have a more an impact on a more diverse population? within the industry? Where can you be mentoring? Where can you be volunteering your time? Can you offer internships to students? How can your others in your company make that impact as well? And so when you're thinking about how to have a more diverse, like to open up your diversity lens, I would encourage you not to just focus on your company, but also to focus on the actions and activities you could take in the industry as a whole, because that's where you're going to be able to expand your impact and your reach. And and you can measure those things as well. You can quantify how many students you mentor, how many sessions you you speak at or, or whatnot. I would encourage companies like you could focus on the, the making the higher you could also, if you're not able in a position to hire, you can focus on giving back and impacting your, the industry as a whole in those areas.
0: Yeah, it sounds like Abacus has been able to attract people just from this, just almost from a spontaneity. Like you, even you yourself found yourself with, with JD, kind of casually mentioned something and, and, and look where we are right now. What about the women who want to consider financial planning as a second career, what is the next best action for them to take if they've had no or they've had limited financial education, regardless of age? Where, where should, they, should they go right for the, the CFP? Should they listen to a podcast? How do I get into financial planning as a second career if I'm a woman? So, I think listening
1: to podcasts is a great way. To, there's a, a handful of podcasts that you can listen to. I think that's a great way to start just to be exposed.
0: And your podcast is a great place to start. Where can they find your podcast? So you can
1: go to um workablewealth.com backslash podcast. Is, or you can go on iTunes, it's Work Your Wealth Podcast. And the book is also called Work Your Wealth, Nine Steps to Making Smarter Choices with Your Money. So those are great places yeah. to start to and getting like a online foundation for how to talk and speak about money. And and I also I, mean, I speak from a standpoint of here's you know things I tell my clients. And so you want to learn how you want to learn the financial data, but you also want to learn it and see how financial planners communicate with their clients. And so that's some of the things you want to, you want to follow a financial planners podcast, not necessarily like a financial gurus podcast, because those are going to be two different things that you might, you might be exposed to. So there's, there's a handful of financial planner podcasts out there. So books and, and podcasts, and then from there, if you like what you're hearing, then I would go on to informational interviews. So then you can go to um, and you can go to your local NAPFA website, your FPA website. Uh, you're going to be able to find some local financial planners, and you can reach out to people. Basically, ask to do like a 30 minute, you know, 15 minute virtual coffee chat. If you can pick their brain, them know you're interested in learning more about the industry. I would do a, like a dozen of those. I would reach out to other women yeah. in the industry and learn about them, learn about their careers, get their advice and input. And then from there, once you're like, okay, this is what I would like to pursue, then you go to the CFP and then you start doing the education because mm-hmm. the CFP is going to be, I mean, that's going to be your key to getting in. your foundational knowledge. It's, it's like a crash course and no, that's not a crash course. It's two years, uh, but it's going to, it's going to yeah. be able to give you that foundational knowledge that you need to excel in your career. So you could, you could probably get a position at the same time you're pursuing your CFP, but I would do, um, dip your toe in the water with books and podcasts, then do the informational interviews. Then make the call of this is something you want to pursue, and and as you're doing those informational interviews, you can ask, always ask, you know, is there somebody else that you think I should talk to or connect with? Do you have any positions open at your firm? Uh, will you keep me in mind? And 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 circle back with those people six months later, a year later, whatever it is. If you enjoyed the conversation, you want to leverage those people and stay in front of them as well. But that's typically. How I make the transition.
0: Yeah, I think that's really good advice. And certainly now there's a lot of virtual networking that's happening. Mm-hmm. If you're one of those people, those, those types of people who get a little bit nervous and a little bit trepidation uh, going into new groups, right now I think is a perfect time to dip your toe into the water, call people up, have a virtual chat, go on a virtual Zoom, be exposed to different groups and just include yourself in a new conversation in a fresh kind of way. The other thing I want to talk about is mostly CFPs or certified financial planners are associated with being advisors, but you yourself right now as a chief marketing officer, and I have seen lots of People in different with different job titles at different okay. roles within an organization, with whether or not they're front facing or back office. So, you want to just being someone that has earned the credential, you want to talk about there might be some people listening on the podcast right now who might be considering it and who are maybe in an operations capacity. So, what would your advice be to them? Should they go for the CFP if I'm not? if I have no, no desire to be a front-facing advisor, but yet I'm employed somehow in the profession.
1: I want to say, yes, I will say from mm-hmm. having been in the industry, I think if you're, if this is the industry you want to stay in, if you're operations, you're doing operations, um, or if you're doing marketing, I mean, the, the biggest thing that I've always seen at the marketing teams at the firms I've been at was that they didn't necessarily have the knowledge. And so you weren't able to, the, they had a baseline of knowledge, but, they weren't able to vet out the information. And even now on the marketing team, I'm the only one with a CFP. So I'm putting those systems and procedures and processes in place to other advisors to vet things out. I I think you have a competitive advantage if you have it. My recommendation Mm. would be to do it because it gives you a competitive advantage and it could give you a bump up in salary and it could open other doors for you. So from that standpoint, even though you don't have the desire to be client facing, I think from like a pure informational, especially if you're marketing, for you to understand what clients are going through, the questions that they're asking, the topics that are covered, and for you to be a content creator or or to be able to have eyes on the content and, and have some general idea of what's being discussed, it makes you more competitive. So from, from the marketing standpoint, yes, operations. I think it's it's good. Also, I think I think it makes you more competitive. Is it necessary? No. So it depends on your own career aspirations, realistically. But I would say I would say yes if you have the time, my thought would be go for
0: it. One of the things is that you are able to author articles and put out advice out there because you are a CFP correct? and attribution. So especially if you're a woman right now and you're trying to build your own personal brand, I would think that this, there've been many women on the podcast who have had the, the CFP designation as well as others. So Keep keep on keep ladies, keep on going for it, double down on the <laughs> double down, triple down as as much as you can. One of the other things that I was hoping to just at least get a, a quick thought on is the that that you have managed to create a business for yourself and that you also were able to sell it, have a great outcome as a result. And you're a financial planning professional. So there are women here who are either contemplating having their own business or they have their own business and might not be thinking about a liquidity event in the future. But what would be your advice to to, to them right now?
1: I think number one, the number one way I, I counsel all of my clients as well, especially when um are you are you what's your exit strategy? I mean, you have to think about that, right? So is your exit strategy that the business goes away when you go away? Or is the exit strategy that you'll eventually sell and merge in? So there, you're, and if it's going to be eventually selling and merge again, then you, you want to start thinking about like building your enterprise value um, and the things mm. that you have that, that come into play there. So I, I think thinking about it from that sort of standpoint is is important. Also understanding um, just like what are the roadblocks? What are the things that you enjoy that you, don't, that you don't enjoy? What is worth it for you? A lot of people, I mean, I have some great friends who are like, Nope. I will be solo forever because it gives me the flexibility. I know where I'll cap out. There's those things. And, and that's, um, what we call like a lifestyle practice as well. And those are great. So it's just knowing what works for you. And I think doing the work, doing the work now to understand like, what is, what is your goal with this business? What is your enough? And same like financial planners need their own financial planners, right? We could do a whole other podcast episode about that, but, um, <laughs> financial planners in general need to, need to have their own financial planners as well because they need to know what your enough is that you're building. And that was the one thing with workable wealth. I knew what my enough number was. I knew what I was trying to get to for our family. And so when it came time for me to sell and to, and to merge, that was part of like the, the negotiations and the going in as well. I knew what those numbers were that I was looking to get and, and to be at for, for our financial success. And so I would encourage other others who are building their business to think about that as well. What is the goal? And are you? Is it your, what's your enough number and what's the impact you want to make as well? Cause because for me, it wasn't just have 100 clients and B, I, there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, I feel called to do the, the reaching of, of bigger audiences and I have a bigger goal of impacting 50,000 women around their finances. And, and so that's what prompted me to make that change is more of that impact focus. And so thinking about where you want that impact and, and that lens, and, and that usually helps you to prepare in one direction or the other.
0: Yeah, we don't typically start out a business saying, "Okay, what's our exit strategy?" You don't, you don't right? You don't, and
1: um, and, yeah. and so I've been I, I've been challenged multiple times, like throughout building workable Wealth to think about that. And i was just like, Pff. there were sometimes I was like, I'm not even, I can't go there. But it really came into play at, at one point. I mean, it came into play at one point because it was just like, okay, you you hit what they're called growth barriers barriers. Right? Yes. you can't. You're going to have right. to make a change. You have to pivot something. You have to hire. Yeah. You have to slow down. And when you hit those growth barriers, then it it's real. And you're like, Oh shoot, I should have figured that out. You know, when I was being told to figure that out because I don't know, but I hit a growth barrier and that was where I basically realized like, okay, let's, what's, what's, which way do I want to pivot? And so I chose, but that's what I think for a, and that's where doing it on your own is hard, right? I was prompted to do it and I I was in the position that made me do it, but that's where as a financial advisor, I guide and counsel my clients to have these conversations because I work as the guide and, and, and position them there doing it on your own is hard, right? Unprompted. We have a thousand other things to do as the business owner, but like me having my own financial planner also prompted me and he, he worked through these questions with me, with me as well. So I think that's the, the benefit of you don't necessarily do it by yourself because you need somebody like a neutral third party for the conversations.
0: Yeah, and I also think that that third party is gonna keep you accountable and say, okay, hey, Mary Beth, what's the answer to that question? Because if you were my financial planner right now and you were asking me that question, I would quite honestly say, you know what? I don't have that answer, but I'm getting close to an answer because I too have hit that growth barrier. Eventually you run into a wall that slaps you, that slaps you, you run into bricks, I would say. It's not even a wall, you just run into the bricks and they 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 hit you in the face and boy, boy, does that hurt. But I think it's really great advice and the need to constantly make sure that somebody else is in your life, some other professional is in your life to really hold you accountable to these goals and to help you answer the tough questions because even if you don't know the answer, that person can help to get you there eventually. You have to get there anyway. So why not just get there deliberately and intentional so that you can design your best business and your best life around, it. Right. yeah, and because it's tied to
1: your personal. But I mean, that's the biggest thing for me with clients. You know, we have small business owners, but for me, the success of the business, what I needed to make, was always tied back to the personal life I wanted to lead and the values that I have for our family. So I had those guys; those those things were inter they were intertwined. And so when I have a lot of people like, I need to hit seven figures in my business, I need to hit this much. I'm like, well, great, what's that? Gonna, what's that transpire into over here for you? And what's that mean for you living? You know, a life that's aligned with your values. And so that's what that's what a lot of people need to unpack is like business we need to focus on the metrics over here and, and as your business goes it gets more grows it gets more complicated but for me i was a solo practitioner at small my own business and so for anybody else who's a small business there's a few employees that's still going to get transpired into how you live a life that's aligned with your values and, and understanding okay what's your what's your personal enough number how's how do you get that to the business What's your work life look like? How many hours are you working? And are you happy? And then you get to make some decisions. That's kind of how it
0: goes. And one of the words that I'm also, too, picking up from this conversation from you, and it's a beautiful word, and that is impact, right? We talked about it at the start of the podcast about coronavirus and how do you get through it is, and that is through your impact. What do you want your impact to be on other people? And it's not just getting to a number because a number will get, you can get to that number in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. And, and quite truthfully, uh, if you want to get to the number, entrepreneurship is a hard way to actually get to the number. <laughs> just an FYI for anybody listening, <laughs> True story, True story, exactly. A lot of uh, probably an easier, an easier way. So I thank you for that to put that right in front of us is to understand and know the impact, not just the number. I want to ask you just two two other questions before we break. The first one is that you've written. So many books you've done, so much you've done research, and you yourself has just counseled hundreds, maybe even thousands of women that you've already had an impact on. What would be your number one piece of personal financial advice? My best piece of advice,
1: no, this is actual advice, but something to keep in mind that I've, I've remembered since I was, you know, twenty two, is that nobody will look out for you like you look out for you. So whether you're an entrepreneur and negotiating a price increase with your clients, whether you are employed and you're negotiating a raise, whether you are looking for a new job, waiting to be noticed to be given a raise, nobody is going to look out for you like you look out for you. So going in for the ask, I think women in general are very hesitant to advocate for themselves. And that is something I learned very early on at one of the firms that I was at, the very first firm I was at, one of the partners, he was only in his 30s at the time too, so probably young and immature as well, but... He told me I couldn't sit for my CFP until he could sit for his. And we were, yes. And I was, I was, um, you know, I was director of client service at the time and it stuck. It stuck because I realized this man was signing my paychecks. There was very much ego involved. And it was, you know, it was a few months later I found another job and that stuck with me though. And I realized, and, and I have very much advocated myself and i advocate for women looking out for themselves and asking for more and asking you know pushing the boundaries and the worst people are saying are no realistically I think women are very afraid of looking pushy or hurting somebody's feelings and the worst somebody tells you is no but that's my number one piece of advice is to keep that in mind nobody will look out for you like you look out for you that is your your job is to take it to put on your own safety vest first your own mask and then take care of everybody else
0: yeah. I, I want to put that on a shirt right now. You're wearing a great <laughs> shirt. It's says empowered woman. I want empowered it. women, empower women. That's what it oh, wow. I'm getting the full view. right now, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, you know, sometimes we as women find ourselves in situations where we need a little bit of self-insuredness that we do want to walk in and say something to our boss and And even to a coworker, we might have a new idea. And I'm just trying to find and and get more strategies to actually help women to do that. And one of the ways that I've heard that I myself use and other people use is to have some sort of physical object, something that actually reminds you that, yes, that you are your best advocate. Do you have anything, any object that does that for, for you that you'd like to share? So I don't have like
1: a, I don't know. I carry, I carry a few things around with me. Well, mainly this like stack of books up and downstairs, but I will say this, um, this is something that I carry with me. I, Basically on trips and into meetings, and it's just like a become a thing. And it's um, actually a, a, you know, it was funny because you mentioned I remember you telling me this. It's a rosary from my grandmother. <laughs> I remember you mentioned it. I didn't want to tell you uh, when you told me we talked about this like months ago. This is uh, so this is the rosary that my grandmother made. My grandma passed away I mean when I was in college in my in my twenties, and I've had this ever since. And it's it goes with me on airplanes. It goes with me after. It's actually it's funny because I was like oh I don't know where it is, and it's in my it's in my my bag that I in my work bag. So I don't necessarily have it. Out in front of me but it goes with me on any big yeah. on any big trip and I you know take it out and hold it in my hand or I have it in the bag and I just know it's with me but it, it, it travels with me and it's traveled with me for yeah. 15 plus years.
0: It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She made it herself. So it's yeah, beautiful. So. Wow. Wow. You've been so inspiring and I really want to thank you for making the time. You're such a busy woman right now. And I think that the job that you're doing at Abacus is, is, uh, is something that I admire and something more importantly that the listeners to this podcast right now, that we can all adapt some of these practices of mindfulness and diversity and inclusion and just some really cool stuff a really cool culture it's been really wonderful to have you i thank you so much for for being on today Mary Beth. thank you so much tina i really appreciate this this was really fun and where can people find you you can find me
1: at um, abacuswealth.com and i'm there or you can find me on twitter at mary b storage instagram and facebook all the same mary b storage s-t-o-r-j
0: safe and well and god bless your husband who's the first responder right now thank you You're listening to In the Suite, a podcast that shares amazing stories of women in business in the financial services and wealth management industry. This podcast is proudly sponsored by C Suite Social Media, a digital marketing and social media agency for C Suite leaders in finance and technology. You can visit C Suite Social Media.com to learn more and for show notes from today's broadcast. And thank you so much for listening and subscribing and helping to support this podcast with your reviews. It means so much. Please, if you know a woman who may benefit from Mary Beth's Georgia Hans Work Your Wealth podcast or book and work at Abacus Partners around diversity and inclusion, let them know about this episode. And always, if you would like to share the name of a successful woman in financial services we should interview in the suite, please send it to me at Tina at C-Suite Social Media.